Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. And uh, if you would open your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read uh, the first 17 verses there just to, to set our, our minds on, on where we have been and then to see where we're going in terms of, of God's word. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 um, the scriptures say, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger. Wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word and and we come, we come needy. As, As we have sung this morning, You are the one who forgives. You are the one who must show grace. You are the one that must bless us and meet our needs so that we can respond in faith. Our faith is no amazing and great act when we think about the fact that we receive righteousness and forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, and we receive 
uh, prompting from him, and we receive encouragement from your word, and we receive power to resist sin, and we we receive the ability to speak the word so that others can hear it. And, and all of those things that we receive are from you. We simply hear your word. We hear you say, this is my son, and we believe. Belief is so insignificant. And the blessings that you give are so incredibly great. And so we we pray that we would keep that in perspective. Lord, you could have held us to the terms of a contract that said, be perfect and I will give you life. But instead, you say, because you are unable to be perfect and because you are unwilling to be perfect and because you were born imperfect and because you've embraced uh, those imperfections, you've leaned into your sin and rebelled against me. Because of that, I will show you grace. We, we, we hear that and we are astounded. Father, since we have been forgiven, since you have given us Christ, since you have given us his righteousness, we pray that we would be filled with awe and gratitude and we would find obeying your commandments to be, as, as John has said, not a burden. His commandments are not burdensome. So, Father, I, pr- I pray that we would hear the call to, to live the Christian life and to, to put on virtue. I pray that we would hear it and we would rejoice at the opportunity and not dread failure or hear judgment or hear a standard and say, I don't live up to that and I cannot. I pray instead that we would, in faith, say, I will learn and practice and dedicate myself to walking in that way, being transformed in the image of my creator. May we do that in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as, we, as, we, as we turn um, into, into chapter 3, Paul has, has spent a significant amount of time developing and, and, and laying out Uh, who it is that we are in Christ, what we have gained, what we've received from putting our faith and trust in him. Uh, We have have been blessed by uh, God with with all of these spiritual blessings, and we are in Christ. And so Paul says in verses 1 through 4, if you've been raised with Christ, if you have been united with him, if you have turned away from your sins and turned to God and believed in Put your faith and trust in him by faith. Then we're to set our mind on things that are above. We're to seek those things. We're to to, uh, live by a different set of principles than acting like everything that we must do and the way that we must live as if it's all earthly. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, then set your mind on things that are above. And then he gives the command that we're to put off or put to death all of those things which are um, unrighteous, sinful, toxic, harmful, whatever term you want to pin on sinful behavior, Paul says, put that to death, put it off, remove it like a filthy garment, 
and throw it away. As we turn to uh, verses 12 through 17, Paul is going to explain uh, motives and, and reasons why we ought to walk in newness of life and encourage us to, to put on the virtues and, and the behaviors that we're, we're called to. But it's, it's important many times when we, we preach the, the benefits or the blessings of, of being in a relationship with God, many times what happens, I, I believe, is that, is that it's either our flesh or our conscience or it's the influence of, of the devil or the condemnation that we've heard from, from someone or for the, from, from the world makes us hear, as, as we hear virtue or we hear commands, we condemn ourselves and we say, I haven't lived up to that and I can't live up to that. Like, I'm a failure. I'm, grace is being proclaimed and we hear law and judgment and condemnation, Right? We hear, but, but I, I can't live up to that. Paul doesn't say here, live this out perfectly. He says, put it on. Put these behaviors off and put this on. Right? We, we, we are in chapter 3, and we understand how grace works. We understand how we are saved. Right? We've got sin on our account. We've sinned against God. We're born into this, this world, alienated from him. And we put our faith and trust in Christ. God declares us justified. He adopts us as, our, as his children. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That's chapters one and two. And now we're in chapter three. We're on the other side of being saved or being right with God. And now we're asking or we're, we're discussing how are we supposed to live? Okay, so as, as Paul begins, he says in verse 12, he says, put on then... Right? And then it's almost as if he, he thinks, I need, to, I need to add something in here because they're, they're going to they're gonna turn this into a bunch of commands that they have to obey in order to be saved. Right? He says, put on then, and then he pauses. He takes a pause to remember, right? to, to, to think. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and then, he, and then he goes to the first virtue, compassionate hearts. He's, he's reminding them that God has called us to himself. He's set us apart for certain things. We are the objects of his love. That's chapters 1 and 2. That's the blessings of knowing Jesus and receiving Christ and, and having him dwell within us. Paul reminds them of, of who they were in chapter 1 and 2, and then who they are chosen by God, the objects of his grace. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, we see that this is God's pattern. He tells the children of Israel... Uh, using Moses as, as his instrument to speak, Moses says, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in, more in number than any nation because you were the smallest of all people, but the Lord loved you and he brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
Why did God set his affection on Israel? Because he's a gracious God. Why does, why does God deliver us and, and save us? Because he's loving and kind. He, he sets his affection on us. And we ought to remember that that's where this begins. That's where this started, starts. We're God's chosen ones. We're set apart for his purposes. We are beloved by God. And if we jump uh, over to verse 13, we see that we're forgiven by Christ. And so these are all motives and, and reasons why when we hear we're supposed to do something, we should understand, okay, there's a, there's a reason behind this. There's, there's, there's power behind it. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not being told you must do these things by some stranger that I don't know. Somebody that I love and who loves me and who cares about me and who has blessed me incredibly is saying, now live this way. We ought to straighten up and take notice. When, when, when somebody who treats us that way and who's shown us that kind of affection and care says, hey, here's, here's what I would like you to do. We're not, we're not earning or buying or uh, you know, performing some behavior at, at, at a fear that we're going to lose something. This person who has given us everything is saying, live this way. And we ought to say, thank you. I, I'm, I'm going to do that. We've been set apart for the Lord. We're not our own. We belong to him. We're alive in Christ. And therefore, we ought to seek his priorities. Because we're, we're dead in Christ, we ought to slay what's earthly within us. We need to strengthen what is like him and, 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 and cooperate with the Spirit as he renews our minds and be transformed more and more into the image of God. And so we have this problem, right? We have this, uh, this unrighteous, ungodly thing that, that drives us and that calls us to live in a certain way. And we're supposed to say no and put that off, right? How do we put it off? We put it off by putting on. Sometime uh, in June 2006, a commercial came on television for the very first time. And this is what it sounded like. Head on, apply directly to the forehead. Head on, apply directly to the forehead. Head on, apply directly to the forehead. Head on is available without a prescription at retailers nationwide. And it was over and it was awful. And it looked like it was made like in the early 1970s and there were like arrows and this lady, like this animation, she's like rubbing this stick on her forehead. Uh, as I look at the uh, universal source of information, Wikipedia, it says that the Better Business Bureau banned them from saying that it was fast, safe, and effective uh, because if you look at the ingredients of this homeopathic remedy, like 99.9% .9 of it is just wax. 
There's nothing actually in it. In fact, well, actually, that's not true. The other two things that are in it are actually, uh, there's a poisonous flower and a carcinogen. Um, now, now, they're, they're, they're uh, diluted to like parts per trillion. And, you know, so you're more in danger, like walking out in public uh, of, of, of like inhaling some uh, fatal particle than you are from, from putting this on your head. Um, but uh, yeah, there's this, this uh, toxic berry. If you eat 40 of them, like it will kill you. Uh, and, they, and they dilute that and, and, and put that in there. Um, this, this, uh, this remedy sold uh, nationwide for a while. I've been meaning all week to go and look on Amazon and see if I could order them. Um, I, I, I'm not going to actually order it. But then I'm, I think, like, man, I should have this so I can, like, pass it on to my kids someday. Like, here's a, remember this head on. Um, you don't remember it, do you? Uh, they, they, this, this, uh, doctors have said there is absolutely no virtue in applying this to your forehead. There is no medical evidence that, that proves that this would work. There's no, um, there, there, there's no sense in which there's anything medically beneficial to it, right? And, and here's, here's, here's how I think we, we sometimes think about our, our sinfulness and our inability and our struggles. We, we think, I've been saved by grace through faith, None, none of it is, is anything that I do. My obedience doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't save me. Um, my faith doesn't really save me. My, my actions don't make me more virtuous in the eyes of God. Am I any... Am I, am I just a placebo wax stick that does nothing? Like, what is putting on actually do or accomplish? Is it, is it pointless? To which I think we need to understand that all of the benefits and blessings that, that come to us come to us from the Lord and from Christ. Right? The, the medicine that we're being asked to apply to our souls here is not empty of value. It is not 99% wax and 0.01% junk. What we are receiving when we put our faith and trust in Christ is the very righteousness of God, his virtue, his power, his strength. In other places, Paul says, uh, put on Christ. It's described as the armor of God. We're, we're being commanded to put on virtue. And so here's, here's the, the difference. We're not summoning anything up inside of ourselves and, and making it so and somehow redeeming ourselves. What we're saying is you're calling me to live this way and it's coming to me from, from the Lord. It's, it's being given to me by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to receive it and apply it to myself. We're, we're, we're stepping forward in faith. It's an act of faith to say, I'm going to live virtuously in this moment. I'm going to respond to this situation in the way that God calls me to. And so we are, we are stepping forward in faith and receiving God's power, and we're acting in 
dependence upon him, not independently from him, but we're making it our own, right? We're, we're living on the power of Christ. I, I think that many of us get stuck in this trap where we say, I'm going to be obedient and then God will transform me and then I will be a virtuous person. And then what? You're not going to need Jesus anymore? Like, if anybody tries to sell you a car, right, and they say, the good thing about this car is you only have to fill it up with gas once, right? Oh, electric cars are going to change the world. You still have to plug them in, right? Apparently, like, there was not enough space in all the electric gas stations over this last Thanksgiving. Like, people were waiting for hours and hours and hours to, to charge in, uh, to charge up their cars. Like, it's liberating, right? What, liberating to not be able to get the fuel you need? It's not liberating. Anyway, sermon on whatever, that's over. Um, the, the point is, is, is that if, if we think, if we think I, want to, I want to receive virtue from Christ and be repaired and fixed and then go and live my life, we don't understand the point and purpose of the Christian life. We're to be continuously receiving from him what it is that, that we need to, to live the, the life that he calls us to live, and we're to do that in permanent dependence on him. Because that's the way human beings were created to live. You're never free from your need for food or for water or for air. Is that symbolic of the fact that we're never free of our, our need for, for grace and virtue and strength and power from the Lord? So we're called to put on these virtues. The first two describe how we're to treat others. If you look at um, verse 12, uh, because we're God's chosen ones, because we're holy and beloved, we're to put on compassionate hearts and to be kind. Compassion shows sensitivity to those who are suffering or those who are in need. And kindness says that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be thoughtful and I'm going to, to, uh, to, to file the rough edges off of my interactions with other people. I'm going to be kind to them. As, as Christians, we're called to display tenderness and kindness towards one another. In the book of Ephesians, uh, and this is a verse that, that comes up so often in terms of, of, of uh, and when, when I'm talking to somebody about a, a difficult interaction that they've had with somebody, it shows up a lot in, in uh, premarital counseling. Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Think about it. God's attitude towards us is always kind, always tender-hearted and forgiving us. And we're just to take that and put it on ourselves. His character towards us. Is it possible that if you lack compassion and kindness in your dealings with others that you don't believe that God is really that way towards you? You're not, you're not seeing it as coming from him and therefore not willing to extend it to others. Uh, allow your, your eyes to be open to see exactly how gracious and kind God is to you and put that on. 
Don't apply it directly to the forehead, right? Apply it to the heart and to the spirit. The second two uh, virtues, the first talk about how we're to treat each other. The, the next two talk about this, the state of mind that we're to, to live in, where Paul talks about humility and meekness, right? Humility uh, in Greek, tapinoprasune. I just wanted to say it. Doesn't, I'm not going to say it really means this, right? Which is what preachers seem to do. Tapinoprasune. I need to say Greek words out loud more often before I try to say them uh, in the pulpit. We're to put on humility, which is to have a, a realistic view of ourself. Now, now, many times what Christians do is they say, oh, I'm supposed to be humble. Like, I need to realize that I'm just a piece of scum and that I'm, I'm, I'm garbage, right? And that's humility. That's not humility, right? In, in Romans um, chapter 12, verse Three, Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself, right? Not throw yourself in the dirt. Because here's, here's the problem. Many times Christians say, I'm just a scummy sinner. You're not just a scummy sinner if you've put your faith and trust in Christ. You are beloved by God. You are chosen. He loves you. Think about yourself rightly. I need to live in dependence on God. I need to take heed. And not be proud, lest I I, I fall, lest I sin. I need to have a proper estimate of myself. And I need to realize I'm not more important than other human beings. I'm to love them and care for them and encourage them and help them. I'm to view other people as if they're as important as I am. And not that they exist as props in the story of my life to do the things that I want them to. That's humility. You know what's amazing about humility to me? It's, it's not that Jesus, you know, was standing up in heaven looking over the script of what was going to happen when he came to earth. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to do what? Oh, you're supposed to be a servant. You're going to wash their feet and you're going you're gonna to die for everybody. He's like, Really? I'm, I'm like the most important person in the entire universe. I'm the son of God. This is the way I'm supposed to behave? No. The Father is humble. And Jesus is humble. And so when Jesus comes to earth and lays aside his glory and puts on the, 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 the flesh of human beings and lives life as a servant, he's not doing anything that's abnormal. For him. When we look at Jesus, we see the Father. The Father and the Son are humble. Think about it. The Holy Spirit, all he does is bring glory to Jesus. He's humble too. We we look at the Holy Spirit and we're like, hey, Holy Spirit, tell us more about you. And he's like, I'll point you to Jesus. That's humility. God is asking us to imitate him when he calls us to be humble. Not to do something that's contrary to to his nature. He doesn't even command us to serve him. He says, you will know if you love me by the love that you have for other people. He points us away from him and to others. 
Uh, We're to be humble and we're to be gentle. This means not behaving harshly, arrogantly, but with consideration for others. Meekness isn't weakness, even though those two rhyme. You know, that doesn't mean they're, they're the same thing. It's power under control. When we were in, uh, in, in Zambia a number of years ago on safari, uh, the, the, the guy who was driving our, our, our uh, safari truck, we we're really close to this giant elephant, right? You know, and he's just like, it's, it, if you've only seen elephants like in cartoons, it's something to see a real one and to see them use their trunk like a hand. It's like unsettling. You know, he's like eating and his hands and feet, all four feet are on the ground. He's just like picking stuff up and with this fifth limb, you know, and, and he was so close. And I was like, wow, what an amazing creature, you know, and I get like you know, the theme of the Lion King is playing in my mind. I'm like, I'm just going to reach out and touch him, you know, and at that moment, as if reading my mind, probably because every tourist wants to do this, the guy who's driving the truck says, if you reach out and touch that elephant, he will tear your arm off. But he looks so kind and peaceful. He says, he does not see a group of people. Like, he sees one giant block. He sees this, this vehicle in front of him. He can't see the people in it. He says, if you reach out and touch him, you will startle him, and he will tear your arm off. All right. Like, meek and gentle elephant, right? You know, meek, powerful, strong able to tear your arm off, but doesn't look like it. You know, that's the strength is under control. The, the word um, that this, this word meekness is used to describe uh, a gentle wind or medicine or um, animals that are, are used domestically. Winds can become a storm. Too much medicine can harm a horse can break loose. Gentleness is keeping our power and strength and ability under control. Then, then Paul talks about three virtues which respond, to, which, which correlate to how we ought to act when we're mistreated. So it's, it's how do we treat others? How do we think? And then how do we act when we're, when we're mistreated? And we're told to be patient, to, to bear with one another, and to forgive one another. Patience is the, the quality of, of holding on to ourselves and, and restraining judgment and embracing mistreatment for a, a certain period of, of, of time. There are certain people, right, like who've got a hair trigger, you know? The minute that you do anything wrong, they're like all over you. Their, their, their patience is this long. And then there are people who've got a little bit longer patience. You can only push them so much, you know? And then there are people you're kind of like, what's up with you? Like, you know, why don't you ever react? Why don't you, why don't you ever, uh, why don't you ever do anything? The Bible says that God holds out his hands all day long to a stiff-necked and rebellious people. Uh, in the in the prophets. The prophet reminds Jacob, he says, because the Lord does not change, you are not consumed. And Peter reminds us that that God's not slow about fulfilling his promises. It's not like he said, oh, I'll do something to change the world. And he just hasn't gotten around to it yet. And he's like, yeah, 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 tomorrow. Right. It's not that's not why 
judgment has not come. He delays. He holds off because he's showing grace and patience to people, waiting for them to repent. His kindness, the book of Romans says, should lead us to repentance. God's patience is long, and we ought to be patient with others as well. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And we ought to be those who, when when somebody does something wrong, and we say, it's not really a big deal that they did this, right? It's not really a big deal. I'm just going to talk about it with everybody, right? You know, it's not really a big deal. Let me make a big deal out of it. Well, what we ought to do is when somebody wrongs us and we're going to respond in patience, we just erase it and forget about it. We just erase it. If you're going to hold on to it, you need to speak up and say something, right? You need to speak the truth in love and and confront. But we're to be patient and we're to bear with one another. That means putting up with each other's flaws and faults and enduring the discomfort of having to to, to deal with them. You know what happens? Um, Many times I'll I'll be talking to somebody and they'll... They'll be, uh, they'll be talking about their spouse or one of their, one of their kids or relative. And they're like, by the way, this is like not the way to have a one-on-one conversation that lasts. This is kind of a conversation shut down. You know, if, if, if I were to say this, um, the way that I'm going to say it here, uh, man, if she would just stop doing this, everything would be so much better. You realize that she's got something on her list, too, that if you would just stop doing that, everything would be so much better. You could play that game all day long, right? If, if this would just change, then everything would be better. Yes, yeah, she's got a list, too. If my mom would just, everything would be better. Really? You know what? She thinks the same thing about you. Grace, understanding that, that we both that, that, that everyone that we interact with struggles and has flaws and things that they're, that they're working to overcome and, and things that they are, they are grappling with and that they're ashamed of. When we understand that, we'll say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that slide. I'm going to learn to just erase that. I'm going I'm to show grace. I'm going to be patient. We're to bear with one another. Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven. Jesus is 70 times seven. And you wonder, does Peter like, you know, eight, nine, 10, like how many fingers is that? And try to count up to it. And if you're keeping track of like the number of times that you've forgiven your spouse and you're at like 475, like you've missed the point, Right? We're to bear with one another, forgiving one another. That means not holding a grudge or a grievance, but but letting it go. Warren Wearsby says, it's not enough that the Christian should endure grief and provocation and refuse to retaliate. He must also forgive the one who is making trouble. If he doesn't forgive, then feelings of, of malice will develop in the heart. And this is where it's like shoots and ladders, right? If we don't forgive, if we don't put on forgiveness, then we wind up back in the verses up top where, where the sins are, right? 
Because these are the very things that, that Paul tells us to put off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. These are the things that cause trouble. Forgiveness opens our hearts to understand exactly what the love of God is like. When we have been offended and we say, I am, I am furious with anger. My dignity's been offended. I've been wronged. I've been injured. I've been hurt. And we say, I choose to forgive. We understand what the love of God is like. Because every single one of us receive that kind of love, a forgiving love from God. Can this kind of virtue be necessary in the church when we're dealing with Christians? Matthew Henry says this, while we're in this world where there is so much corruption in our hearts, so much occasion of difference and contention, quarrels will sometimes happen, even among the people of God who are holy and beloved, even as Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement which parted them from one another. Remembering that we're forgiven by Christ, by the Lord Jesus, for so many offenses is a good reason why we should forgive one another. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum up and, and finish. I'm going to leave the second half of this for when we, we pick back up in Colossians. But Paul turns us to... The final virtue in verse 14, he says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. As we as we think about the the reminder of our identity, put on then Paul, Paul breaks it off before he 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 gives the the virtues. He, He breaks off and he reminds them that they're chosen by God, that they're holy and that they're loved. He reminds them of the love of God. And then he speaks about the compassion and kindness and humility and, and meekness and patience and bearing with one another and forgiveness. All of these things, they are empowered. They are fueled and brought to life by love. If we don't love someone, we're not going to be patient with them. If we don't love or, or have a heart that is, is filled with, with love that, that is, is ready to express itself, even to someone that we don't know, then we're not going to be compassionate. Love melts our anger and allows us to be kind. Love for others slows down arrogance and pride and enables us to embrace humility. Love instructs me that anger and explosions and displays of of power can damage the hearts of each other. And if I love them, I will keep myself under control. Love reminds me that I probably have a few things that I need to work on too, and I shouldn't be so hard on this person who's failed. I should bear with them. And looking at the forgiveness that's been shown to me and God's love for me ought to fuel my desire to forgive others and to display God's love. Love means doing what's best for another person. It's the first of the fruit of the Spirit. Love comes first, and then joy, peace, 
patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control come. And they're fueled by love. Paul says to us, he teaches us that, that the one who loves has fulfilled the law. The purpose of the law, 633 commands in the Old Testament boil down to, to 10 on, on two tables that are, are the way that God is calling us to, to live towards one another. Those, those commands can be summed up in one simple Swiss Army knife command that's got everything in it. Love God, love others. That's amazing. It's the supremely important Christian virtue. It unites every other thing that we're called to do. Uh, it's called the, the bond of perfection. It binds everything together in perfect harmony because it unites us together. Love says that, that, that we need to live this way because that's what we've been called for, a community that holds together and that is united and that stands together and cares for one another. Love binds us together and it binds all of our actions together and it fuels our mission. And the amazing thing about love and being loving in a, in a, in a biblical sense, the way that, that God calls us to, is that we are then reflecting his character out into the world. Here's, here's a, a, a lesson. It just seems to come up so often. This is a lesson that I'm learning. I've been learning it for a long time, and I'm, 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 I'm trying to learn it. I have to remind myself of it. There are, there are times where I, I, I walk through prep for something like this, or I'm, I'm talking to somebody about what's going on in their, in their life, or I'm, I'm thinking through an issue in my own life, and I, 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 I climb up the mountain of the problem that I'm dealing with or that they're, they're dealing with, and you factor in all of the, the things, and you, you put your hands like on the, the rocks that are, are, are going to, you know, you're going to be at the top, and you pull yourself over, and you find up at the top of the mountain that the answer is love, and it's like, oh, really? Like, I thought there was going to be some secret Greek word that unlocked the power of the Christian life. It's, it, it's only disappointing or a letdown in an intellectual sense. Because you know what? This stuff is extremely hard to do. Right? Somebody might say, Tell me something new or interesting, right? To which I would say, show me that you can do this and we'll move on to something else, right? When Jesus says, fulfill my commandments by loving one another, he is throwing down the most difficult, hardest command in the entire Bible. That's, it, is, it is the toughest thing to do. To love. We all love each other when everything's great, right? When you're having like a Hallmark movie moment and everybody's like, everybody's like, oh, let's just drink coffee and open presents. We'll throw back our heads and we'll laugh because we're all in love, right? Now rewind to the point where like you realize, no, he's, the guy's lying to you or she set this whole thing up or she's not who she says he was, she is and all that. And everybody, it's like, it's like, is this the end of the movie? Right? Go back to the difficult part. That's when love is important. Yeah. 
That's when love is really love. When everything's falling apart. When you disagree. When you're angry. When you've been offended. When you feel like exploding in anger. When somebody has royally messed up. When they never should have done that. Now they're in front of you and they're saying, I am so sorry. This is when we need compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and to bear with one another and to forgive one another when things are difficult. Not when the credits are about to roll and everything's great. In the midst of difficulty. And here's the good news. By faith, As we seek to put off what is offensive and unhealthy, by faith we can appropriate and receive power from God to live out the virtues of the Christian life. With just like one minute to go, I want to read the verse that I read to the kids this morning. You know, my hope is that when the flying ninja goes flying at some point, um, or when you pick it up off the rug, or if it breaks, you know, and and your kid is like, my ninja, you know, that you're going to be able to remind them, like, this is about, this is just a symbol of faith. Remember, remember that, 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 We receive Jesus by faith and that we attempt things because we believe they're possible because of what God has given to us. This is what Paul says to the Romans. I'm going to read this and then we'll pray. Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How does that filling come? How do I get it? Right? That's what the question we're asking. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. We have to look to God in faith and say, you're giving me what I need to survive spiritually in this moment. You're giving it to me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And I don't think it's abuse of the scripture to say, and joy, and peace, and love, and any other virtue that we need. And so the encouragement is to put it on through faith. Salvation is first to last by faith. Receive it because God is giving us all these things. So press forward in your pursuit of living out the commands of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to to share this word. I pray that that we would not be offended by your commands because they are simple. The, The Christian life is difficult, hard to put into practice, but it is not difficult to understand. You make it very plain. You've shown us, as it says in the scriptures, what is good and what you require of us. You call us to do justly and to love mercy and to walk 
humbly with you. You call us to put off what's unlovely and to put on love and to seek the way of Christ. You call us to walk in dependence on you. We, we, want, we want to have all the power ourselves and to, and to never do wrong again. But if we received it from you, if you gave us that power, we would abandon you because that's the way we are. And so in love, you give us our daily bread each and every day. Father, we just, we pray you would keep us humble and dependent on you for the strength and grace that we need to live by faith each day. Father, I pray that if at any point anyone in this room heard law or demand or the need to obey in order to be loved by you, I pray that you would remove that. You are so good and kind to us. You're a gracious, affectionate God, and we we pray that that would loom large in our mind. Teach us to live this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.